This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I'd like to thank the organizers and say um, uh, how glad I am to be here and participating in this very interesting symposium. Uh, and indeed to have the opportunity uh, of discussing uh, together a problem uh, which we all sooner or later will will have to come to terms with. Uh, And that is indeed uh, an interesting point. So I'd like to start with uh, just uh, uh, a couple of quotations, uh, this from Wittgenstein. um, And uh, it makes an important point, I think, that... um, we are talking uh, of death, uh, but death uh, is a concept. Uh, obviously, there are individual deaths or there are dead bodies, dead people uh, that we may or may, may not come into contact with, uh, but death is a concept. And as humans, uh, we may, in the modern world, not witness many deaths, but from the earliest times, hominins and humans have experienced the deaths of relatives. So the condition of being dead will have uh, been a familiar concept uh, at least as soon as human language could find a word for it, namely the adjective dead. But I think it is crucial to the discussion to realize that without uh, the concept of death uh, and indeed uh, without a a language uh, which could find a word from it, then it's not possible to communicate about death and it's not possible uh, to have a shared concept of death. Uh, and so uh, the, uh, uh, the awareness of death as a general phenomenon uh, is very much, and when that came to be in evolutionary terms, uh, is very much associated with the question of when uh, human language emerged in a sufficiently sophisticated form that one could have an abstract, abstract noun uh, dead or an abstract adju- uh, death, I mean, or an abstract adjective dead, uh, which could uh, give a word to the concept. And so uh, I suspect uh, that when we're discussing when did the awareness of death uh, become uh, a a reality for humankind, the answer is when language had been developed to find a word for it. Uh, It's worth mentioning also, uh, it's interesting perhaps, that uh, um, uh, Epicurus had a similar concept to Wittgenstein's uh, and a couple of thousand years earlier. But as archaeologists, we don't encounter death very often, uh, and indeed we don't even encounter dead bodies very often. As archaeologists, we more often encounter burials. That is to say, uh, dead persons that have been inhumed deliberately. And it's unusual for archaeologists to discover Uh, dead people, Uh, and it's so worth uh, looking, uh, reminding ourselves of these extraordinary images
images of moments of death found at Pompeii and Herculaneum and the uh, archaeologists who found cavities uh, in, the, uh, in the volcanic ash and poured plaster of Paris into these cavities were able to get these extraordinary images of uh, death, if you like, of the moment of death of a kind which is uh, exceedingly uh, unusual in archaeological terms. Uh, the business of burial um, uh, is often very much associated or attenuate uh, in later times with notions of what is to follow, uh, whether or not there is an afterlife. And that is why I've given my uh, talk uh, the notion, uh, the, the title of uh, the archaeology of immortality. And this slide is from the Capuchin uh, Cemetery in Palermo. Uh, and of course, the Kombuchin monks were very much aware uh, that there would be a day of resurrection, uh, and so uh, this is now the Capuchin Cemetery in Rome, where we see uh, these extraordinarily elaborate and sometimes very decorative uh, figurations, uh, which uh, I think to us today, to most of us today, perhaps because we don't very often see skeletons or dead bodies in the modern world, that's in the mortuary, which we don't visit. It, um, and it's in the cemetery, but you don't see the dead body in most Christian burials, uh, and indeed in, in most many faiths, uh, so that uh, we are very much insulated from death, uh, and these are perhaps rather shocking uh, images uh, for us, uh, and we find uh, the apparent frivolity uh, which you encounter in the Capuchin Chapel perhaps a little unseemly. Uh, but uh, it's worth remembering, and I think we should pause and recognize that we live in the Americas or in Europe or in Western Asia in a society today dominated by two or perhaps three religions which hold that the supreme deity, God or Allah, promises uh, that life after death will be the destiny for those who believe. And so I take you to the Sistine Chapel, to uh, Michelangelo, last judgment uh, and there will be many people here today who follow some version of the Christian faith so well expressed by Michelangelo for the Church of Rome in his vision of the last judgment where the blessed and the damned are judged on the basis of their conduct, conduct during life and sent accordingly to their ultimate destinations their two uh, ultimate destinations uh, and uh, it is uh, a convention in the scientific world um, which is particularly inappropriate for this occasion that we don't discuss faith very much. Um, maybe there are symposia on faith but they tend to or they can degenerate into alternative expressions of personal faith. Uh, and so it's an irony really uh, that we are here today uh, discussing uh, awareness of death uh, but uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, belief systems uh, which determine to some extent uh, what uh, a number of us will feel uh, about uh, death uh, are not openly expressed. And I think that's worth saying because underlying all the discussions is that some of us here are believers, uh, 
perhaps of uh, those two or three religions which predominate uh, in, the, uh, in the Western world, and others of us are not believers uh, and are agnostics or atheists, and therefore inevitably have a very different approach to death, uh, and uh, many agnostics or atheists will not believe uh, in uh, the existence of the human being after death, although, of course, some may. And obviously I don't have time to talk about the Buddhist faith on this occasion. So I'll move right on to uh, the uh, earliest uh, accumulations of human bones, which may or may not be burials. This is the Cima de los Huesos in Spain, uh, which is early hominins, early Neanderthalers probably, around 400,000 years ago, which were tipped into uh, these pits uh, these, cave, uh, these caves, and uh, presumably deliberately so, though not, that is not certain, but they don't really uh, constitute burials in a deliberate sense. And the first human burials are archaic uh, are hominins. This is uh, from school uh, in uh, Jordan, uh, and uh, uh, that is something like uh, 100,000 years ago. These are archaic uh, hominins uh, of humans following the slide we saw in the last presentation who have uh, uh, who have left uh, Africa. Uh, and with these burials, we do find uh, sometimes uh, uh, other objects, sometimes some uh, a bone signifying meat, not a human bone, but a, uh, a bone uh, of uh, mutton uh, or something like that. And so uh, that is certainly a deliberate burial, which is certainly signifying awareness of death. You can't uh, come about having a deliberate, a deliberate burial without some awareness of death, but it doesn't necessarily signify an afterlife. Uh, and uh, this is one of the first sites uh, in, uh, in Europe, in Romania, uh, where we find uh, deliberate burials. You do, of course, have Neanderthal burials, for instance, at the Shanidar Cave, uh, something like uh, 40 or more thousand years ago. Uh, and, uh, uh, but it's not until um, the upper Paleolithic period, until the arrival of Homo sapiens in uh, uh, Europe uh, that we find uh, deliberate burials of this kind, uh, this uh, very striking um, uh, body uh, inhumed uh, with a headdress, uh, which uh, uh, comes from the site of Sungia. And this is uh, uh, another such burial. This is around 28,000 years ago in Russia. Uh, but although it's impressive, uh, it's important to understand it. It's clearly recognizing death. It's, it's a formal burial, but not yet in a cemetery. Uh, it's a formal burial, uh, and so uh, uh, that indicates something, but not necessarily a suggestion of awareness in the afterlife. This is a similar burial from the site of a rainy candidate in northern Italy. And here now is one of the first cemeteries, uh, a number of burials grouped together, and you find these at the very dawn of sedentism, uh, just before uh, the domestication of agriculture is fully achieved in the Natufian period uh, in Palestine and in Western Asia, um, uh, around 12,000 BC. And here is another of these sites where we find uh, a cemetery. 
And clearly a, a cemetery is a different response to uh, death. Uh, it's a, a place specifically chosen uh, for the formal uh, disposal of the dead. And here is another such example from uh, an early site in Jordan about 15,000 BC. And it's at Jericho in the pre-Pottery Neolithic uh, A period that you find these remarkable plastered skulls. And these are one of the most striking finds uh, that, uh, that one uh, has where death is being uh, responded to uh, and uh, uh, it's possible that this uh, relates to a belief in the afterlife but it's also uh, just as possible that it relates to a belief in the significance of the ancestors whether or not the ancestors are presumed to be still living in some sense it is the ancestors uh, who give uh, uh, often one's right to inhabit the land, the territory which one inhabits today and so this, uh, moving on very rapidly to northern Europe, to the Orkney Islands, this is a site of, uh, I excavated myself, of Quantiness in Orkney, where you see um, uh, a, a constructed tomb, a very handsomely constructed tomb. Here is a reconstruction of it. And this is a place of collective burial. And collective burial is another phenomenon where the, the bones of a, or the bodies of a community are together buried. Uh, and that is uh, an important point. Uh, it is uh, when you come to uh, rank societies that you find burials with very strikingly wealthy grave goods. And here uh, is one of the jade burials of the Songzhe culture around 3300 uh, BC uh, in China. And here is another of these jade burials of the same period uh, also in China. And there's something special about the material uh, of jade just as is special uh, about the material gold uh, which one finds here in the earliest occurrence of gold in the world at Varna, something like uh, 4,500 BC. And the inclusion of these materials doesn't necessarily uh, indicate a belief in the afterlife, uh, but there is with the purity and survival of gold and uh, the purity and survival of jade something which certainly in later times is associated with immortality and uh, I think there's a possibility that this is the time that immortality uh, first uh, enters the archaeological record, as it were, in these rich burials. This is another burial from, uh, from Varna uh, in Bulgaria uh, around 4500 BC. But it is with the arrival of state societies uh, and with the arrival of a belief in deities, in transcendent deities, uh, that you certainly find... Uh, a systematic belief in the afterlife. Uh, and deities, of course, uh, are by definition immortal. And you find deities in the archaeological record, uh, it may be argued, for the first time in state societies such as ancient Egypt. So here you see the pyramids. Here you see uh, the wonderful uh, gold sarcophagus from the tomb of Tutankhamun. And we know a great deal about Egyptian beliefs. And here um, is from the Book of the Dead is the weighing of the soul of the deceased uh, in, the, uh, in the balance uh, and if the, uh, the, the, the soul of the deceased uh, was sufficiently free from sin as to be sufficiently light then, uh, in weight, uh, then the deceased would be accepted into a favorable afterlife. 
Uh, and so it's in, um, in China uh, again with the Shang dynasty that you find these enormously rich burials uh, and uh, uh, with the first uh, bronzes in China and these are of great abundance uh, and uh, it's also in Mesoamerica that with the development of state society, for instance with the Maya, uh, that you find very elaborate burials uh, which do clearly uh, involve the belief uh, of an afterlife, at least for the ruler. And this is the tomb of the inscriptions at Palenque. And here is the wonderful tomb slab uh, of uh, uh, the uh, deceased person of Pacal. And here is Pacal himself being taken down into the underworld. This is uh, uh, around 603 um, before the Common Era. And here is the contents of his tomb, including this wonderful jade mask. And there is the jade mask. And it's interesting to compare that with the jade masks which in China uh, are used to uh, surround the, uh, the body uh, of the deceased uh, person. This is, uh, that was uh, Liu Shan, and this is the burial suit of Princess Do Wan, uh, 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 who, uh, uh, who was buried around 113, or died 113 before the Common Era. Uh, in Europe, it's the uh, uh, necropolis, the cities of the dead of the Etruscans, which give the most wonderful example. Here is Chevetri. Here is the sarcophagus of the spouses from Chevetri. And it's there that we find the wonderful painted tombs. Here is the tomb of the leopards. Uh, and this is a funeral banquet, or certainly a banquet. Uh, the, uh, the deceased person uh, reclining uh, with uh, relatives and friends and being served on as Roman banquets were transacted and here is a very beautiful wall painting from the tomb of the baron around 500 BC and this too is Tarquinia around 500 BC from the tomb of the baron and here is one of the most delightful depictions of music and dance from the ancient world likewise of that period and so we obviously find in the ancient world, wonderful representations. Here is uh, the goddess Athena in mourning at the grave stele uh, of a deceased youth. And here is one of the most uh, delightful series of paintings of deceased persons which you find uh, on the mummy coverings uh, in, the, in, in the Fayum. And they have a wonderful vivacity, uh, but they're commemorating a deceased person uh, for whom a belief in the afterlife uh, was probably a, a doctrinal reality. And then you have the grandiose. Uh, this is uh, uh, from the tomb of Mausolus, Mar Mar um, from whom we have the, t the term mausoleum, meaning a grandiloquent uh, commemorative tomb, usually. And this is the funeral effigy of uh, Mausolus, which is now in the British Museum. And here is a, a reconstruction uh, of uh, the tomb of Mausolus, uh, as it would have been in, in Western Anatolia, Halicarnassus in Anatolia. And here in Rome uh, is the, uh, uh, the great uh, uh, 
monumental tomb, a tomb of Hadrian, uh, which is today the Castel San Angelo. Uh, and here is a reconstruction of how it may have looked. And this is obviously uh, the notion of death of an emperor as uh, a significant uh, event. Uh, and of course, the emperors of Rome were deified, and so on their death, it was uh, presumed uh, that uh, they went on to live an eternal life. And indeed, indeed uh, the later emperors were re already regarded as divine uh, before their death, so there was no trouble about that. And here is Hadrian indeed. And so, uh, just to come to the conclusion, uh, obviously uh, we continue uh, to use grave monuments uh, as uh, a suitable locus uh, for celebrating the dead. Uh, and this is the tomb of Giuliano de' Medici uh, from the uh, Medici Chapel in Florence. This is again uh, Michelangelo, Michelangelo now as sculptor rather than as painter. Uh, and here, as you'll recognize, is the, uh, uh, the Kremlin. And here, in similar guise, is Lenin, uh, still uh, immortalized, still embalmed. Uh, as you remember, Stalin uh, uh, was uh, put beside him for a while, but then perhaps was simply interred very wisely subsequently. Uh, but Lenin still continues to room, rule supreme. And my last image uh, is from uh, the Taj Mahal, this uh, lovely uh, um, uh, memorial uh, to, uh, uh, to the, uh, the bride uh, of uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Shah, uh, dating from the, the 17th century uh, AD. So some, some notions of immortality uh, do uh, continue, uh, but of course uh, immortality is usually uh, part of a belief system uh, which uh, uh, involves uh, in the modern world certainly uh, a faith uh, uh, of uh, whether it's Christian uh, or uh, Muslim uh, or indeed Buddhist faith but I haven't had time to discuss uh, the Buddhist notion uh, of transubstantiation how the soul can move from one individual on death to another individual uh, and that of course is a different concept of immortality. But as I said right at the beginning, uh, I think the awareness of death simply depends on having a word for death. And I would say that uh, when we developed as humans an awareness of death uh, as, a, as a concept uh, must be very much when we develop the linguistic capacity. And that linguistic capacity is usually associated with our own species Homo sapiens, uh, as indeed was very well uh, documented by the last speaker with his, uh, 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 his map of the uh, uh, out of Africa uh, expansion of our species something like uh, 60,000 years ago. So uh, that I think gives a, a very brief synopsis of the concept of immortality for humankind. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.